Welcome to The Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Today we're talking with Don Ardell. Don is one of the pillars and forefathers of the wellness field. He's an outspoken free thinker who promotes a philosophy of real wellness, an acronym for reason, exuberance, athleticism, and liberty. Since High Level Wellness was published in 1977, Don's been out at the forefront of the field. Today, we're going to talk about how we got to where we are in the field today, its evolution, and some of those original premises upon which the field was built. We'll also speak a little bit about the meaning of the world wellness and how it's been co-opted and used today. And then we'll finish with a discussion about who should be on the wellness Mount Rushmore, closing with a beautiful message of hope. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway to well. All right, here we are. Welcome to the Highway to Well, Don. We're sitting here at the crossroads of wellness and culture, and we're talking today to one of the true godfathers of our field. And I always claim if there is a Mount Rushmore of wellness leaders, Don would be on it. And my question would be, would you have a smile and a Robert Ingersoll top hat on? That's the, that is one of the key things that I'd wanna know from you, but today I wanna get us started and talking about wellness and talking about what you feel like we've accomplished starting with uh, looking back to Halbert Dunn's definition of wellness as an integrated method of functioning, which is oriented towards maximizing the potential of which that individual is capable within the environment where they are functioning. And in 19, in the late 70s, 1976 and 77, you put out high level wellness, an alternative to doctors, drugs and disease and really position the field to look at and think about the potential of, of what we want to do in spite of what, um, in terms of health and trying to manage health was going on at that time. And you've been a pioneer since that time. You've, you've been out in the forefront and questioning and asking really um, in-depth questions about where we want to go as a field. So I want to ask you today, so starting from, that point in the late 70s to today of where we've been, what do you feel like we've done that's been great? What do you feel like we're missing still? And if there are some things that we need to point our future to in the field of wellness, I'd love to know what you think about that. Well, that's quite an opening. Where to begin? First of all, I have to say something about your overly generous introduction. <laughs> uh, that that beyond the pale. Um, usually when you get on Mount Rushmore for whatever reason, uh, if there were multiple Mount Rushmores, it would be after you're long gone. So I don't think I'd get to choose what hat I would wear up there, but uh, that's not a big deal. <laughs> or as uh, thinking about grandiose matters, I think uh, it's very, not so important to write your own speech, but it's vital to do your own introduction. But I forgot to give one, having no idea you'd come up with something like that. But anyway, thanks for your generosity. And now let's start talking uh, about reality, uh, talking about things that are reasonable and sensible, possible, and the rest. First of all, on the matter of history. 
there have been several good histories on the well on the matter of how wellness evolved you can going back as far as the Greeks and uh, antiquity to modern times counting Halbert L. Dunn in the 50s and 60s as part of modern times. Then there was a leap forward of uh, another 10 or 15 years to the 70s, and that's where I came in along with John Travis and Stephen Point's own Bill Hetler and the, the others who created uh, a gathering in Stevens Point at the university that was a wonderful tool for bringing people together who had ideas that were relevant to the emerging efforts to promote well-being, to promote positive health, to promote personal responsibility, fitness, nutrition, stress management, and a range of topics that were beyond the simple, not simple, but the important but focused efforts of so many diet books, so many exercise books, so many other books on stress management, like Hans Selye's. Wellness was different in many ways, but one way it was different is that it was a comprehensive approach by the early people in Halbert Dunn and in the people I mentioned in the 70s many others in the 70s wanted to address encouraging people to learn about the broader aspects of what health was truly about beyond just not being avoiding sickness or dealing with sickness but to do so without a magic bullet to do so without a single focus i mean i personally was deeply involved in a single focus namely running and later triathlons but uh, i also in the 70s because of the work I was doing and the people I was meeting, developing an interest in nutrition and stress management and all the other components that became a part of the emerging wellness movement. I'll pause before I continue, but to mention one other thing uh, before I do, and that is that I produce a wellness report. About a thousand issues have been produced since 1984. The last two issues have in considerable detail addressed my own shortened version of the history of wellness. And I'd be happy to provide a complimentary copy of the wellness report to any of your listeners who might care to have it. Easiest way to get it is simply to read it on my website, which is donardell.com. But if that doesn't work for any reason, you could send an email to me at awr.realwellness at gmail.com and I'll send you a PDF copy of the report, which goes into a great deal of detail about the history of wellness that would respond in some depth to the good question you've just posed. Sorry for taking so long. Your turn. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, obviously these are things we can talk about forever and for many days. But one of the, one of the I know in, in one of your recent copies, uh, there was an explanation or some discussion regarding, um, you know, the, con the conceptual uh, place that wellness has been and in your work, like in some of the people you mentioned, John Travis and Bill Hetler, in the in that 
time of the field, there was a lot of synergy and in, in bringing people together from different disciplines in order to really get into a discussion of how do we, how do we help people in a positive way that is uh, forward thinking that helps them um, handle in various different ways of their aspects of their life that all come together in terms of living well. And, and then at some point, wellness kind of as a field got compartmentalized and a little bit off track in getting deep into risk modification, risk management, risk mitigation, incentives in the corporate sector, um, health assessments, and a lot of data-driven you know, metrics, return on investment strategies that have uh, aligned with healthcare in such a way that oftentimes, you know, wellness in a corporate setting is compartmentalized and put into a benefits package. And it oftentimes deals with um, merely your blood work or biometric screening data or other pieces that are um, driven by those statistics and those metrics. So it has, it has that component to it, which, is, which has been great. But at the same time, my, my argument is that we've somewhat have diminished the heart and the value of what wellness means and what it really is. And we've kind of co-opted in different ways to say that wellness is the program that you have at your work, that you get your $25 incentive every month if you happen to do so many steps. That's a valuable exercise to some degree, but the point of what I know that you argue also involves something greater than that, something beyond these um, sick, you know, the focus on our sickness metric as opposed to high level living. And so what, what do you feel like now? So having been in the field and seen the various ebbs and flows of these things, I feel like there is a turning point coming about now. There's a lot of leaders um, from the wellness councils of America to some of the some of the newer people that are having a really strong voice in the field that are trying to get back to that heart focused leadership and helping us move beyond the ROI um, points of wellness into really talking about wellness not so much as a part of your life but is your life and how does how does that fit in with where you see the field today? Okay, so far we've summarized two or three characteristics of the wellness movement and its evolution. The first is that the attempt in the 70s, borrowing on Halbert Dunn's work in the 50s, was to shift from a disease model to talking about something beyond a single initiative that increased health or health promotion, such as running or broad fitness types of fixes, which were good in themselves, but needed supplements such as equal attention to nutrition. So the early wellness movement was to focus on the idea of promoting well-being as its own reward, not because it made you likely to live longer or less likely to get disease and illness, but because it was worthy in its own right. It boosted your well-being. It boosted your mental well-being. It added to your physical prowess. So that was a good thing, and that was the initial focus of this movement of the wellness idea in the 70s, much more so than with Dunn. Dunn talked about the broader environmental, cultural aspects, 
and also addressed to some degree the, the issues that were highlighted in the 70s by Hitler and Travis, myself, and many others. So those were the first two steps that we could talk about and fill in all kinds of detail about those two steps. What happened next was touched on by your comments. The idea, the word wellness was not, was not protected in that positive sense. Instead, as you noted, it became more medical with risk reduction programs and all those kinds of strategies to save money because corporations were promoting it and getting far more attention than we were getting through our individual books, our lectures, and our annual national wellness conference, which of course was called something else in the 70s. But anyway, we were gathering at Stevens Point in the late 70s and particularly throughout the 80s and 90s and talking about wellness as a promotional activity for its own sake, its own reward that had ancillary benefits. What happened was it went, it spread beyond the corporations, which are not doing it properly. It was better than not at all, but it wasn't what we were talking about in the positive sense. So it spread beyond wellness and it became a word, a household word actually, that was applied to all manner of activities that had some broad connection to health, but were as often as not related to getting cured of something. So a fundamental discipline about understanding wellness is to think of it as a philosophy, as a lifestyle, as a mindset, as a disciplined commitment to well-being, both physical and mental, as something that you have to do for yourself. It's not a service. It's not a product. It's an approach to your existence. And because things started to get out of hand uh, from the 90s into the current century, I actually somewhat abandoned wellness or to, to, in order to try to get back to the ideas of the 70s, but in an even more effective manner. And so I added a, a modifier that enabled me to identify a form of wellness that was not related to these these um, bogus forms of faux wellness, but rather the original ideas. And so I called it real wellness, R-E-A-L, because those four letters in real, the acronym R-E-A-L, represent the four dimensions that elements of genuine well-being are, can be collapsed. For example, R stands for reason, and what that invites people to learn are principles for dealing with effective decision-making, for understanding the nature of critical thinking, for valuing evidence, for not taking things on faith, to being comfortable with doubt in order to look for sources that are reliable and, and capable of coming closer to truth and, and merit than would be the case for single-purpose ideas that are gut-based, as our current leader likes to go with. So <laughs> R is the reason in, well, in the real wellness approach. The, 
E is exuberance, which deals with meaning and purpose, joy, laughter, pleasure, relationships, all the social areas that are so important to feeling good about yourself and making an impact on society and feeling that you're, you're doing, you're making the best of your time. Exuberance invites attention to all these kinds of areas. The next area beyond RE would be A, and that's athleticism. So that addresses exercise or nutrition and uh, exercise and nutrition, I'm sorry, fitness uh, and, and uh, the, the foods we eat. And the last area, L in the REAL acronym, represents liberty or freedom to live the kind of life you want to live. Mental freedom, meaning freedom from dogmas that limit your choices. Uh, freedom from traps, basically, that keep you from living the kind of life you want to live, to, to be happy and to feel you're making the most of your time. I'll pause now and give you a chance to comment or ask another question. <laughs> no, I, I uh, having gone I suppose the best way to explain how I feel that that's a comforting view of where we need to go in the future. You know, my background in sociology has, I come at this a little different and through my work in philosophy and in sociology, I've always felt like that wellness above and beyond anything else was this, this humanistic pursuit. It was a question. And like you said, it's a philosophy. Well, that's not what most people think. And that's partly due to how they approach wellness or what is their um, somewhat their gate entry or their first step into discovering what it means to live a well life is oftentimes either in the medical setting or in their corporate setting or in some educational pursuit or for people who are athletes, it, that it's, too, it's likened to your pursuits in your athletic you know, training. However, what I love about what you've done is you've brought us back to the thought process of what wellness means to the human spirit. What does it mean when you talk about, you know, reason, exuberance and liberty, like athleticism is the one that most people attach their idea of wellness to, because that is your not, not, not high level athleticism, but just your ability to, um, to be active, and what does it take in terms of your nutrition, your sleep habits, and, and different avenues that you can enjoy life? And like you have talked about a lot, your ability to play. And what does that mean to you as a person? And how does that make you feel to play, to be physically active? Um, but what often gets lost is the other parts. And those other parts, to me, are the ones that are really essential that we should be discussing and that it gets into the how do we operate in a society with each other? How do we treat other people? And how do we create wellness environments so the context for us to live a well life isn't a question of how can we jump in and make sure that we're making sure that we're focusing on wellness in all these dimensions or whatever wellness models that you've, you know, we can discuss or talk about. You know, put those aside, but talk about the value focus of what we want to live how we want to live and how do we want to live a good life? Well, you know, it's always a good idea to reach out and be in service to others and do what you can to promote your own community, your region and your society. And for that matter, the, the world itself through concern about global issues like 
climate change and the like. But there's much more you can do in the near term that affect your own mental and physical well-being. I just finished a two-year project sponsored by the American Triathlon Association called USAT to interview, to, uh, to send questionnaires to gather information and data from older people who have done remarkable things and are still flourishing and thriving after age 75, in fact, who have won world championships in the sport of triathlons since they reached an older stage in life. And when we had all that data in, we started looking for strategies or lessons, uh, what we ended up calling tips that we could place in the four dimensions that I've mentioned, reason, exuberance, athleticism, and liberty, and, and provide people with a comprehensive perspective on the nature of living in a manner that you have a philosophy, a mindset, a conscious approach to making the most of your existence. And that resulted in this book that I'm, I don't know if you've read it yet, but I've sent you information about it called Not Dead Yet, World Triathlon Champions 75 and Over offer 56 tips for thriving and flourishing in later life. And um, again, I'll make the same offer. Anyone who's interested can obtain a, a list of those tips and some information about each one of them by going to the website or my own website or one called Not Dead Yet, the book, and reading about them and seeing whether or not they make sense for their own lifestyle. Yeah, I am very, I, I would love to, and I, I know you sent me the information. I'm excited about diving into that. Um, and much like, you know, your, your reason, exuberance, athleticism, and liberty, after, after talking with a, a lot of different wellness professionals um, and where, where we are in the field today, too, I feel like, you know, and I've been talking about there's four C's that uh, I keep coming back to, um, connect contribute, care, and create. And that those, when we separate the idea of wellness from the medical system or other corporate work sites, and, and like you talk about in other avenues like tourism and spas and other places that use the word wellness to gain an audience and um, to offer a um, stylish, stylistic approach to what is a um, what, what it feels like is living a, a good life or managing disease or like in your corporate setting, um, fulfilling the check boxes to get your incentive and reward. There are these other avenues and these pursuits that we know the research continues to show how much they mean to our well-being and creativity and about connecting with others and making contributions. And then, you know, with your, especially with your work with with people who are aging and then what does what is the concept the conceptual value of wellness in their life after 50 after 60 or those who have had disease and and I you know a good friend of ours from the National Wellness Conference Fern Carnes um, I'll forever remember a talk that she gave in one of the one of the last conferences that I attended um, after she had been diagnosed with cancer and 
talking about her approach to living well in spite of disease and mm-hmm. how these, these, are, these are things that extend beyond the health and health risk operation that we typically you know, find ourselves discussing when we start talking about wellness. And your work has really pushed us to not forget those. And like you said, you departed to some degree from the field a few years ago in order to get back to the, the center, the focus of the heart of wellness and to have discussions about these things. One of the, one of the great other questions that I would love to ask and get your opinion on, you know, usually when we start talking about wellness, we start talking about balance and trying to live a perfectly balanced life. Now you're an elite triathlete and I would love to know from your experience, how do you, how do you discuss balance in a way that helps people as opposed to being confused with trying to do too much and pack too much into your life? Well, I don't think anyone's going to make a case for trying to pack too much into your life. So, I mean, that's maybe not a realistic alternative of the choices. There are all kinds of things in between those two. But if you're, you use the example of triathlon, there are three disciplines involved in that sport, plus strength, and it requires, of course, attention to your nutrition, your mental fitness, the management of stress and the anxiety of racing, uh, the safety issues associated with biking and swimming. It's a complex matter. There's no such thing as a perfect balance. And what is even a reasonable, effective balance for some people, given their unique circumstances, would not be a balance that worked for others. So balance is a dynamic idea and it's extraordinarily subjective, it cannot be defined precisely, and it's a matter of whether or not you feel as if you're doing what you can to give sufficient attention to the areas that are the most independent variables in the quality of your functioning. So be a little suspicious or skeptical about the whole idea of you gotta get yourself in balance. Yes, but let's be clear about what balance is. It's, it's a judgment call. And it's conscious awareness of the fact that there are varied activities that have to be understood sufficiently to bring them into your consciousness and behavior in a manner that's suitable and appropriate. Does that make sense to you? Oh, that's exactly, that's, that was the point. Because um, I know in, in your work and then one of the key, one of the critical concepts, and, and I work on the practitioner side too. And I oftentimes run into um, a conflict when we start talking about wellness as a balance. And I find that that challenges people because it's, it's a, it's more difficult to try to balance your life than it is to dive into something that you're energetic and excited about. And, and balance is one of those words that it can be easily confusing and it can thwart people off a, a really good path because you're trying to, you're trying to compartmentalize or you're trying to, you know, if you take a six dimensional wellness model, oftentimes when we start talking about, or in, in the wellness field, we start talking about seeking balance. Like that sounds like a healthy and wonderful pursuit, but it, but I have a, I have a really strong issue with that in that it, it doesn't position us to maybe succeed. If you're going to dive into a pursuit, you're probably going to be imbalanced to some degree Exactly. And yes. so 
you, so it's on, we're putting ourselves in, in, in bad positions sometimes with the people we're trying to help make healthy lifestyle changes or to help them live optimally by saying that you should live a balanced life when actually diving into and, and engrossing yourself in some activities is actually a healthier pursuit to some degree than it is to not jump too far in because you feel like you have to balance six other parts of your life. Right. So it's a quick fix way of saying don't overdo it. Don't get too deeply involved in one thing and ignore other important factors. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I think one of the issues that we face today is the search for a quick fix, an easy answer. Of course, that's always been a problem, but let me give you an example. For example, well, let me put it this way. I'll ask you three quick answer questions. One, if the last time we were together, say at a wellness conference, and you were the executive director of the Institute, and someone said, wellness is a 4.2 billion. No, let me take that back. Wellness today is a $4.2 trillion business. Would you have believed him or her? I would ask him to define wellness for me. <laughs> exactly. That, that would be a good, terrific first question. The second question is, how the hell did you come up with that number? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but today I received an email from a group whose name I won't mention, although I, I wrote a critique of this organization's claims for wellness and that figure two weeks ago in the our Dell Wellness Report number 787, I think, uh, to challenge the claims that they've made that wellness is a $4.2 trillion business. And the reason they come up with a figure like that is they have eight categories. Six, five or six have nothing whatsoever to do with wellness. The hotel business, for example, or beauty treatments and things of that nature. Now, if you really stretch things, you can make a case that some aspect of what a, what a hotel's spa business might be doing might be wellness for some people, but it's so minuscule relative to that extraordinary figure that it, it just calls into question the idea of a claim that's just beyond the pale. And um, so be skeptical. That's, that's an important part of critical thinking. and and, and come up with, rely on a term of, for wellness, a definition for wellness that makes sense to you, that, that's specific relative to behavior that's within the realm of an individual's capacities. That's why I created real wellness, so I could even protect the idea of a definition and an understanding of the concept of a healthy lifestyle that was balanced and that was positive. And that did take into account dimensions that truly make sense in terms of an effective person mentally and physically. Yeah, I think we get into that. That's that's exactly I think the discussion. And I would and I think when we have you back here, the next thing we want to dive into is how did wellness get so um, co-opted and and modified and and how it got distilled into so many parts. It's like saying. Uh, water, the bottled water industry is worth right. $72 billion. Water is good for you. Therefore, the wellness industry is worth $72 billion. And that happens 
frequently and, and it doesn't help when you have people like Paltrow. There's a wild claim that came into my uh, email today. Uh, again, a certain organization made a claim that the conference that they're putting on in a couple months, a three-day conference, was so wonderful and had so many speakers and, and offered so much in terms of insights and intelligence and learning and so on and so forth that it was it will it is the equivalent of a phd in wellness three <laughs> days and my immediate reaction was well maybe that's true if you're talking about trump university <laughs> i don't know where else you'll get a phd worthy of a, a certificate for three days uh, in any subject let alone something like wellness <laughs> exactly i, I that i yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we've, but that's, but that's where we are, aren't we? We're in these positions where it's, it's part of that quick fix mindset, but it's, it's the intensity and, and you bring a bunch of people together, you know, for three days. And then you say, well, you, we've shared everything you could possibly learn. So here you get your equivalent of your PhD. So now you can go on and be, you know, a practitioner or you can, you can claim that you know everything about it. And, and that's, what has happened oftentimes in our field is, you know, wellness is an entrepreneurial pursuit in a lot of ways. It has so many different meanings and it can be used because it is, like you said, it ultimately is a human, it's a philosophy of living a, a good life. Well, let but, me, let me, let me sign off on this with a little bit of a, not just food for thought, but whole foods, plant-based nutritional food for thought about, Somebody who, if you're going to have a wellness Mount Rushmore, should be the one and only person who needs to be up there. And that's not Halberdell Dunn, but someone that came along almost a century earlier, namely one of my heroes, Robert Greene Ingersoll, an American orator from the 19th century. I encourage people to look up what he had to say, but in one of his talks he said I'm perfectly satisfied that the highest possible philosophy is to enjoy today, not regretting yesterday, not fearing tomorrow. And so let us suck this orange of life dry so that when death does come, we can politely say to him, you're welcome to the peelings. What little there was, we have enjoyed. That is perfect. That is that is a perfect sign off for this episode. I can't wait to have you on again to continue these discussions. We're just we're just getting started on the the iceberg and digging under and trying to figure out how we can how we can make make our pursuits worthy and connect back to the original heart and intention of people like you, the leaders like you that help position us to to think about wellness and living a better life. So, Well, yeah. that's nice. And perhaps in the meantime, people can do some background checking and uh, information gathering by visiting the website that I mentioned and um, looking after themselves, staying well. Yeah, thank you. We'll include um, those links in, uh, in the description here with this podcast so people who are curious can make sure that they get connected and we can't wait to have you on again. Thank you. Well, so it's much. great fun talking with you. Take Thanks. good care, Derek. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.